Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. We just finished up recording with Lizzie Bolliger and the episode was fun and very interesting. I don't know about you, mm-hmm. Cecily, but I just uh, felt like that was... Fascinating. Yes, fascinating is the best word. But we talked about twilight sleep. If you're like us, hadn't really heard of that before. Very, very interesting with applications across the board. We get into eugenics, mm-hmm. the origins of that, and just everybody listen, even if you, you know, don't think you need to know about anything birth related there is mm-hmm. wide application so interesting um yeah. before we get in though really quick give us a review go leave us a review on apple podcasts or spotify wherever you listen um we appreciate that before i started podcasting i didn't really realize this was a big deal but yeah. i guess this is how people find you know if mm-hmm. we have reviews people can find our podcast more easily so we really appreciate that written review star review, you know, whatever, um, Mm -hmm. leave us one. And then also we want to mention that our community is open. We have started, we had our first meetup. Um, we're having another one this week, this Tuesday, and then we will be starting our first book very shortly within the next couple of weeks. So if you're interested in the community, finding out more about it or joining in, go to the boomclapcommunity.com and you can check us out there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, guys, we really hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. Like I said, it's completely fascinating. All right, today we have with us Lizzie Bolliger, childbirth education specialist. And this may, like going into this, you may hear childbirth education specialist. What are we talking about today? (laughs) You know, because this isn't the typical topic. But while this topic might seem initially a little bit random and narrowly focused, I assure you there is a broad application for every one of us and learning, deep learning that we can have from this topic. So we're going to talk about twilight sleep birth. Um, Lizzie on Instagram is at fierce Lizzie. And one night I was just sitting scrolling and she had her stories about twilight sleep birth. And so I had never heard of this. But diving in a little bit more, there were applications that came from it that I had heard of before, and I just never knew about this initial like twilight sleep birth history. And I was just really fascinated. And <laughs> I sent it to Cecily and I was like, we should talk about this. So um, as you listen, I want you to think about um, the application and how we do things now, um, the mistakes that happen in the past and how we can learn from that and how it lends that there might be mistakes happening now that we just see all these things that we should do and there are mistakes, um, uh, you know, told that we should do in healthcare, but there are mistakes coming out of that. And then proof of the impure rationale behind it and how we can learn from that. And there's potentially impure rationale happening behind things in healthcare currently. So Lizzie, thank you for coming on. I'm you so wanna... excited. Yeah, <laughs> Just like you said, I was like, wait a minute, but I'm not like, this isn't a podcast that you have me on like this. So this is really cool to be on a, you know, a podcast that has nothing well, to do with. There's learning experience. There's so much learning to be had from just everything historically. And it's not, Mm -hmm. a lot of times we evaluate things just from the perspective of that situation specifically, but there's analogies and application within almost everything that has happened, right? Yeah, totally. And Twilight Sleep has so many parallels that as we like talk through it, you're going to be like, oh, wow. You know? Yeah. Um, So this is going to be great. And, and like you said, most 
people have not heard of twilight birth yeah twilight sleep it's called twilight sleep but i say you can you know call it either or but um when i shared about it everyone was fascinated it's so disturbing you guys are gonna find mm-hmm. out um it's just it it's fascinating that we even did birth that way and you you may have seen like some version of twilight birth in um like shows and movies and stuff so like mad men specifically has an episode where betty gives birth and she like goes to sleep and dreams and then she like wakes up and she meets her baby and she doesn't she doesn't even know if it's a boy or a girl because she was out the whole time um and then the crown has a good um twilight sleep episode too and these are actually newer versions of twilight sleep because these were you know well past the downfall of twilight sleep so we actually see like a newer version of twilight sleep well into the 80s um but it started do you want me to jump into it? Yeah. Do you want to just tell sure, people kind of good. what it is? What it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Twilight Sleep, or it's also called Dommerschlaf. I, I'm not, I was actually born in Germany, which is funny, but oh. <laughs> um, I don't speak German. So Dommerschlaf, which is just Twilight Sleep in German. It started in 20, 20th century Germany with these two doctors, Dr. Kronig and Dr. Goss, and they used scopolamine and morphine to give women pain relief um, in childbirth. And it also put them into like a foggy state, making them have zero recollection of their birth. Um, Of course, there's lots of side effects that are happening. Um, Many doctors did not support twilight sleep, noting that you know, they would go observe the twilight sleep happening with these two doctors and they would note that women had like slowed pulse, decreased respiration, they were delirious. So they were like, mm, you know, we're not sure about this twilight sleep, but the women loved it. So all they heard was you go to sleep and it's dreamy and you wake up and you have your baby and there's no pain. But the big problem with twilight sleep was that it wasn't painless. They just didn't remember. So, I mean, the morphine takes away some of the pain, but they don't remember any of the side effects or any of the very traumatic things that were happening because of that amnesia effect of the sculpting. So even though lots of physicians were opposed to it, they continued it in Germany. Wealthy women from all over the country traveled to Germany to experience this peaceful birth. And in 1912, the first woman from the United States um, had her baby via twilight birth and described it as a fairy tale, very luxurious. So now it's coming to the U.S., right? Um, and in 1913, two reporters from McClure magazine in New York, two female reporters, traveled to Germany to witness twilight birth and to write about it. Um, and they were actually turned away. The doctors didn't want them in there. Um, so they ended up like hiring or recruiting a pregnant woman um, to like go undercover for them. So she was the next, you know, U.S. woman to have her baby via twilight birth. And that's how they got their story. And they write this article about twilight birth as like this miracle, painless birth process. They don't include any of the controversy or the side effects or that a lot of doctors refuse to do childbirth this way. Um, and, the, and, the, and, and their article just like blows up. And it completely fueled like the first feminist movement in the U.S. where women are demanding, you know, we want pain relief in childbirth. And so now wealthy women are traveling to Germany to have their babies. Um, the media is like is really pressuring 
obstetricians in the United States to provide twilight sleep. Um, and the battle for twilight sleep was a battle for women's rights. Um, and it was, it was a way for women to quote unquote, take control of their birth. And that line there really like stood out to me because that's how I talk about birth too. Um, and I talk about like having unmedicated births and that's a way for you to take control because you're completely out of the hands, right? Of the medical system if you're unmedicated. And so just seeing that same line that I use, but used in the complete opposite manner was just yeah. like mind blowing. Yeah. It's really interesting to think of taking control as being in this like delirious, totally unconscious state. Like there's no control about that whatsoever. I think of it as similar to like alcohol like people mm. think oh it's just so great like you can let loose and be yourself and whatever but it's like but are you really you know like it's interesting there's no control in either of those aspects mm-hmm. very interesting mm-hmm. and it is interesting too that um a lot of women still kind of have that mindset of mm. i want pain relief and it's my right and it's going to be my birth and i get to choose how it goes mm-hmm. um so it's very similar, like, beliefs that we're seeing here as we bring twilight birth to the U.S. Um, and so U.S. doctors are opposed to it, obviously, because, you know, even though the media is raving about it, the medical literature continues to report on its problems. You know, we're experiencing asphyxia, um, agitation, delirium, headaches, longer births, so more complications, it's requiring the women are so delirious and they're thrashing around that it's requiring them to be restrained in childbirth. So if you look at images of twilight sleep, it's, it's so disturbing. These women are in straight jackets and they're put in these special like beds that are completely closed off so that they can't hurt themselves as they're like violently kicking and, and thrashing about. And women would like, urinate on themselves and defecate and vomit and they would just be sitting there until their baby was born um and a big problem too is as it came to the u.s you know the doctors weren't supportive of it they didn't want to do it but they're losing clients these women want pain relief and they want the clients so now they're kind of scrambling to meet the demand um Doctors would go to Germany and and observe these, you know, the the two OGOBs here. <laughs> um, it would observe them doing a few births, and then they would go home and start practicing twilight birth. And Goss actually wanted obstetricians to take like a three-year course study on twilight birth. And, you know, the U.S. doctors are like, oh, I saw a few. I'm an expert. Now they're going back to practice it. And so, of course, now that the twilight birth that we're seeing in the United States, you know, where I'm talking about the straitjackets and, you know, all these ill conditions, that's not exactly what was happening in Germany. It's not exactly these successful, peaceful births that we were seeing. Um, Twilight birth was like a really meticulous process. And the private practices in the U.S., they started taking shortcuts because of how many clients they have. They don't have time to sit there and monitor the, the, the mom the whole birth. You know, they would give fixed amounts of morphine and scopolamine and then leave them to the nurses that did not go observe the births in Germany. And so, of course, now we're seeing even just more adverse effects of twilight sleep on 
on women. And so we finally, it's, Twilight Sleep is, is pretty short lived. So in um, 1915, we kind of start to see it, the demand decrease and we see a downfall of it after the death of um, Frances Carmody, who she died after giving birth to her third child via Twilight Sleep. And she was actually the face of Twilight Sleep. So she um, and her husband founded the Twilight Sleep Association, which helped like women fight for their right to have twilight sleep. Um, and they opened up like a twilight sleep clinic. Um, and then she died giving birth during twilight sleep. But of course, you know, the doctor and the husband said it was completely unrelated to twilight birth because, you know, they have to save face. So twilight sleep did lose popularity after that. Um, but it totally changed our maternity care, even to this day, how our maternity care goes. It was a lot of it was set up because of this twilight sleep phenomenon. You know, it's so interesting that when Rita told me to go watch your stories about Twilight Sleep and that she wanted to have you on the podcast, I had just watched The Crown. Like, I, that's the show I've been watching. I've been going through all the seasons. And I had just watched the episode where Queen Elizabeth had given birth via Twilight Sleep, but I had no mm -hmm. idea what Twilight Sleep was at the time. And so I just watched her go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then there was this baby. And I remember thinking, like, what is what is happening right now? Like, because I had no frame of reference for what that was. So, and I forget what year that was that she had. I think it was mm -hmm. her third one because she had her fourth <laughs> naturally. Mm -hmm. I forget what year it was, but I find it so crazy that that was still going on at that yeah, time. Yeah, that was pretty recent. I, I can't remember the year either. I want to say it was like in the 80s um, or the I 70s. I think it was like the 50s like or 60s anyway. Oh, okay. But yeah, it was really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And so even though, you know, Twilight Birth declined in the 1915s, we still mm -hmm. had some sort, it, it just wasn't exactly that um, combination of drugs. So like a new way to offer that painless childbirth and they were still um, putting moms to sleep mm -hmm. and doing who knows what. I mean, we know yeah. they were pulling babies out with forceps for sure. Um, and then mom wakes up to a baby and actually the queen that was like just like you said that was her third the one that they show on the crown and then her fourth she had naturally so now mm -hmm. we're starting to see women say no I want to be awake <laughs> yeah. I want to be awake while I give birth and if you think of it too there was no like their partner their husband was not in the room with them um mm -hmm. so who knows what kind of treatment they were getting yeah. and trauma lives in the body these are so traumatic these births were so traumatic um, they don't remember it, but I'm sure they had side effects of trauma long lasting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it was also interesting that that fourth birth where it was just a natural birth is that's the only one that Prince Philip was present for. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it's interesting to see the advocate also come in at the same time that they're choosing not to do a twilight sleep anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a, yep. it's a shift, right? Very necessary yep. and shift. It, and it's so interesting too, because like we, when we look at birth history, there's not a lot, um, birth was really private and the only births that weren't private was the Royal birth. So that's kind of like how our markers go when we look in birth history and the first, like one of the first women that demanded <laughs> Uh, medication or pain relief in childbirth was again, you know, mm -hmm. a royal. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just interesting how it kind of shifted over and they kind of helped pave the way for making those changes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then there's the continuation now of pain relief and childbirth, right or wrong. Um, it, it's interesting that before that twilight sleep birth, it appears that it really wasn't a thing, you know, to um, feel that birth should be painless, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we so can now- even go back into like Adam and Eve, right? Where Eve was uh, punished with painful childbirth and every woman after her is going to have painful childbirth because of her you know, original sin. And it, it started like that. And, and when women were demanding um, pain relief, it was like, oh no, you must be a witch if you want mm. <laughs> pain mm-hmm. relief. Um, so it was, you know, seen as very ungodly and um, frowned upon. Yeah. Hmm. So in this article, I think it was from the BMJ that I was reading this morning. It's extensive. Like it goes through, we'll link this in the show notes. If you're interested in reading it, it goes through the whole history and then into other application. But I found this interesting just in regards to the pain itself. A St. Louis physician, and I find his name funny, Dr. I in love. um, (laughs) I in love. That's funny. Yeah. His initials are I in love. Yes. Told his fellow doctors at the 1893 American Medical Association obstetrical section meeting that as physicians, we may well ask ourselves if we sufficiently appreciate the importance of saving our patient pain. He noted that pain often was an announcement that something was Mm -hmm. wrong and needs correction and that methods to relieve it should be mostly conservative lest the physician end up removing nature's flag of distress rather than the actual cause. However, when it came to labor, his opinion, he told the audience, was that pain is basically unnecessary and harmful. So I find that interesting that, you know, those of us that think of things a little more on the natural side, um, really pain, like our body gives us cues, right? And so... Mm -hmm it was interesting that in labor, like he could see that he was saying, you know, it is nature's flag. That is something we need to pay attention to. But with birth, it's all of a sudden your body doesn't know what it's doing. Like your body just does this, but it really shouldn't be making pain for you. So we need to take that away. I found that that interesting. Yeah. And that little part of that article, I didn't get all the way through the article, but I got that far at least. That reminded me of our episode that we did with Dr. Tommy John. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like how um, symptoms, et cetera, it's often a flag. But yeah, it's so interesting that he didn't find that that applied to the birthing process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of, you know, when we saw birth as physiological all the time and it was happening in the homes and the the pain of childbirth meant that childbirth was working. So there de- definitely is a huge juxtaposition mm-hmm. here when now we're talking about like the introduction of modern medicine and um having pain relief options, starting to do surgeries and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also, the scopolamine itself, I found that interesting. Like when I looked at the drug mix that was used, so we have a narcotic and then scopolamine was used as an amnesia type drug. And I'm familiar Mm -hmm. with that from the hospital and end of life. We use it, but as a patch, the same as people use it for, um, you know, motion sickness. Like people will put a patch Mm. behind their ear for motion sickness and it also, um, decreases secretions. And so if you have like constipation issues and stuff like you're not supposed to use it. And so I, but I never knew that it like 
had amnesia effects because we Mm -hmm. used it like in such small doses, it's just a patch, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I find it interesting to induce amnesia. I wonder at what dosages this drug was having to be used, you know, and the different route. Well, that was the drug that was causing the delirium. Yeah. And so in Germany, when they were doing it, they were so meticulous about the dosing that it really was a little more dreamy. I mean, it still had awful side effects, but then when we brought it to the U.S. and we were just doing standard dosages and then, you know, we've skipped right over the amnesia into delirium and Mm -hmm. women losing their minds in childbirth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also curious. Oh, sorry. Go go ahead. ahead, No, go ahead. Okay. I'm also curious the effects it has on the babies. Like in Mm -hmm. some of your stories, like these babies were just right out of it. And that I found it really interesting that like the pictures we see of like doctors spanking these babies to like get them to wake up, it actually came out of this twilight sleep. I know. Isn't that wild? Like that traditional, you know, idea that the doctor hangs the baby upside down and slaps them on the Mm -hmm. bottom came from twilight sleep because these babies were were born not breathing because they were so heavily medicated. I mean, we know that when mom's medicated, it, you know, passes through the placenta Mm -hmm. and now baby's medicated too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy, crazy to me. Yeah. I actually, when I shared to go watch your stories on my social media, I actually got messages from, I think three or four different people that have experience with this. Uh, One woman said her grandma had had twilight sleep birth. Mm -hmm. Another woman told me that I think her grandma had lost a baby during twilight sleep birth. Mm -hmm. Um, And another woman thought that there there was a reason for her to believe that she was a twilight sleep birth. And I was like, I don't know why. I just found that all very interesting that people were like, oh yeah, like my family has a history with this. I don't know, which I guess a lot of us might if we go back, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just interesting. I got that a lot too. And it, I mean, it doesn't make sense. So, some of them, you know, maybe were moms in the 1915, yeah. but, um, but, um, all, all, moms giving birth in the 60s, 70s, 80s also. So technically it wasn't twilight sleep, but, um, similar experiences where, these women are, they had all their babies with twilight sleep, I heard, or um, demanded, I don't want to be asleep anymore for birth. I mean, well into our parents' generation. Like, it's just wild. And so when you think of it like that, when you think of twilight sleep, I talk a lot about how the hospital birth is not the best way to birth. But when you think of twilight sleep, it's like, dang, okay, well... (laughs) I guess it could be worse. Like we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of, I mean, parallels to our yeah. hospital birth now. Um, in 50 to 100 years, we might look back and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe we were inducing moms. I can't believe we were giving them epidurals. You know what I mean? Like, I yes. Oh my gosh. So this is off topic, but on topic. So I remember like so many times throughout my ICU career, standing at the bedside and just listening to a doctor talk and like quote statistics and like why we do things this way. And I just stand there and think in 10 years, this is going to sound so stupid. Like <laughs> I just stand there and listen. And I, you know, some of the things that we are so sure of, you know, and over my 15 year career, there were things at the beginning that we were so sure of. And we said, this is how we need to do it. And this is going to offer you the best outcome. And then 
It wasn't just new technology that came about or um, something like a new drug or anything. It was that we weren't doing things the right way. You know what I mean? It's not always that um, there's an improvement made. It's sometimes just finding out that the things we were doing were actually wrong. Does that make sense? Like, I think that that sometimes people think improvements in medicine are just because we are getting new things and new technology and new knowledge. But sometimes the new knowledge is just that our previous knowledge was absolutely wrong. So, right. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to figure that out. Like we have to look long-term at some of these things. And by then it's become the normal thing um, to do X, Y, Z this way. Yeah. And sometimes there's fair warning. So also, I'm just going to stick with this one article as a reference point because it's so comprehensive. But this part I found interesting in application to things currently going on and you can use your imagination. Um, However, like the suffrage movement, not all women were supporters of the campaign. Some questioned the efficacy and method, arguing that the drug might have unknown harmful effects. Miss Elizabeth or Mrs. Elizabeth Curtis of the Civic League of Saginaw, Michigan, complained to the Journal of American Medical Association in June of 1915 that local or that a local exhibit and presentation on twilight sleep was nothing more than a misleading and harmful commercial exploitation of maternity and a direct attack on the medical profession. Curtis, part of the lay opposition to Twilight Sleep, joined a growing chorus of physicians who also objected to the fact that there was not enough evidence to prove the method's safety and efficacy. I just find that interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there was a ton of doctors who said, I'm not doing this. It's not safe. But when that article came out, I mean, and it wasn't just that one article, but that one article now started every other media outlet talking about women want twilight sleep. Um, and so what was the main drive there was like, we need to keep our clients. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we need to get, we need to get paid, um, regardless of what these studies are showing just just the undertone of social um societal like outpouring i guess of calling for one thing mm-hmm. instead of actual evidence leading the direction of medicine yeah. yeah i think it's just another example of the fact that things don't change like the circumstances change a little bit but people don't and it seems that what drove twilight sleep was money media um, human desire, of course, and also elites, like you said, like the Royals kind of Mm -hmm. started it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as they backed away from it, well then so did everyone else. So it's just so interesting how human nature is always to follow money, personal desires, media and elites. And that we just keep doing that and we keep making the same mistakes because of it. Yeah. Yeah. On the elite. really interesting. On the elites line, so this part's going to be a little bit longer, but I want to read this um, in relationship to the ties to eugenics, which I found totally interesting. Um, Okay, Twilight Sleep also fit neatly into the progressive milieu. Progressivism promised to solve the problems wrought by industrialism and capitalism, immigration, crime, degeneracy, and disease, and household diverse set of initiatives within its broad ideology of social improvements. 
Eugenics, the Science of Improving Humanity, developed by British researcher Francis Galton, was one of those initiatives that held broad appeal for for all strands of progressive ideology. Originating from the Greek word and meaning good birth, eugenics was malleable, useful for promoting both positive eugenics, encouraging the best people in society to have more children, as well as negative eugenics, restricting the reproduction of those deemed unworthy. Although eugenics began as a broad movement that encompassed different ideas for how it could improve humanity and elevate the status of women, by the early 1920s, the movement's emphasis on restrictive reproduction allowed for the proliferation of of sterilization laws and immigration restrictions designed to preserve the purity of the white and native-born American race. The mostly middle and upper class white club women crusading for twilight sleep at first presented the method as a boon for all classes of mothers. The first annual report of the association stated that constant letters of inquiry showed an intense interest in every part of the country among women of all classes, but particularly among the poor and those of moderate means, the great child bearers of the world. So they're calling the poor and those of moderate means the great child bearers. Earlier in the article, it discussed um, the Kronig, was that his name? Yeah, it discussed him talking about how he had observed that women of poorer means um, just gave birth to women Mm -hmm. or to their children very easily. Mm -hmm. Like he described a gypsy woman, like just like going behind a tree or something and having a baby. Mm -hmm. And then these highfalutin women, I guess, for lack of better terms, like didn't Mm -hmm. um, necessarily feel like they should have the pain and like were kind of like wimps when it came yeah. to delivery. So yeah, that's what this, he's talking about. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, and this, this was like a, a, a really um, widely held belief that peasant women <laughs> were hardier um, yes. and could manage childbirth. And the more wealthy women who aren't really like working <laughs> at all, like the working women, um, they're more dainty and they couldn't handle childbirth. And so just like you said, yeah. 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 And yeah, is that this, is that the same guy that did the obstetric experiments on slave women or was he just citing the, st- um, someone else who did those experiments? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Don't I'm know pretty sure that. it covered that in that article too. And I just find that such dark piece of obstetric Mm -hmm. history as well like Mm -hmm. thinking that oh these women you know these slave women are tougher they can handle it and they did these horrific obstetric experiments on them okay so they can benefit Cecily that yeah that might have been him awful I'll have to look back okay so he was saying those are the great child bears of the world he said however reformers also argue that upper class women's fear of childbirth and pain was preventing them from having enough children to sustain the health and wealth of the nation. President Theodore Roosevelt insisted that white women's reluctance to have children shirk their patriotic duty and constituted nothing less than a race's suicide. The usage of the phrase race suicide and discussions surrounding the race were both ambiguous and specific. As Diane Paul has noted, referring to race hygiene, racial efficiency, racial vigor, racial death, or suicide were terms that encompassed a variety of meanings in the early eugenics movement. These terms could simultaneously allude to racial classifications and the need for whites to have more children, as well as differences in ethnic groups and the broader progress of humanity in general. 
These capacious meanings therefore allowed Twilight Sleep's proponents to argue effectively that the method was an excellent solution for ass assuaging mother's fears and increasing the birth rate. With the miraculous event of painless childbirth, women could enthusiastically resume their fertility without fear and produce more and better babies. Physician Bertha Van Heusen argued that Twilight Sleep's positive eugenic influence thus had the potential to solve the social problems of prostitution, abortions, divorces, unwilling motherhood, and venereal disease. Proponents argued that the modern woman could now give birth in the same way as the lower classes, who, like Cronin's gypsy nature woman, were presumed to drop children with ease and need little recovery time, lengthening strength and health with both race and class. The twilight sleep mm. method would help the right kind of women birth more children more easily. Oh, my gosh. It's wow. so funny. Oh, it's not funny. Oh. It's tragic. But it's like, okay, so tragic. you're considering white women who apparently are so dainty they can't even give birth. That's the right kind of woman, whereas opposed to these women who they consider so hardy, you know, like, yeah. oh, it's so backwards. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So as I was talking to Lizzie when I got on here, I said, you know, I knew nothing of twilight births. I know about eugenics. I didn't mm -hmm. know this history behind it. And it's just so crazy how this um, progressivism into the women's rights movement was used in such a malicious way. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. wild to me that currently still we see these things being used as, you know, women's rights yeah. And really, what is the intention behind that? And a lot of people that fight for, you know, racial justice and all of these things are simultaneously promoting things like unwittingly that are mm -hmm. nothing of the sort. Well, it's like Planned Parenthood, right? Like it was yeah. started That's by what I was mention too. Raise. You should yeah, talk well, to that instead of me because you probably can speak to it much better. No, I, I this is actually kind of out of my wheelhouse, but I just okay. recently watched the um, business of birth control. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. watched that. Mm -hmm. And they talk about um, say, exactly what you said, the whole Planned Parenthood and, and mm -hmm. birth control being used in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So this yeah, is, like people this so is often the stuff that, that this is the part of it like I have known about, but I just like the twilight mm -hmm. sleep portion. I was like mind blown in reading <laughs> about it. But mm -hmm. later in this article, it does talk about that. It doesn't talk about Planned Parenthood, but it talks about um, Dennett, who was one of the women. So Margaret Sanger, and then uh, Dennett, I can't remember her first name. Mm -hmm. um, they were two women who kind of um, were both trying to do the same thing, but kind of uh, rivals, I guess, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. And then eventually they joined together. So it says Dennett, after volunteering for the TSA, which the Twilight Sleep Association, mm -hmm. also founded the National Birth Control League in 1915 the first birth control organization in the USA and later renamed it the Voluntary Parenthood League. So Voluntary Parenthood League. And mm -hmm. then uh, Sanger, hers was called the American Birth Control League. And so those two later merged and then eventually mm -hmm. became today's Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And these fascinating. women mm -hmm. were promoting eugenics. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Under yeah. the, um, you know, guise, guise yeah. of f feminism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and taking control of your birth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And while there may have been some of that that was genuine, like maybe they genuinely did, you know, want women to take control of their birth, but also there was malicious undertones, mm -hmm. regardless of the best intentions, you know, happening simultaneously. You know what I mean? Sure. So, mm -hmm. 
it can be both. I don't know. I just find this, I just find this completely fascinating. Okay. One other thing, this is, is kind of off. Um, okay. So if you want to talk about birth control for a second, there was this part, we begin to discern that by the judicious use of the instrument of birth control in light of an ever-growing knowledge of the eugenic aspects of heredity, it is possible, possible to cut off the supply of the unfortunate and to diminish steadily the output of incapables. We have struggled vainly to stem the tide of unfit babies. And now at last we have learned the magic formula to apply at the source. Like, isn't this like the language <laughs> completely disturbing? Mm, oh my gross. gosh. Yeah, it is. Disturbing. Yeah. I don't know. And then at the end of this article, they were just talking about twilight sleep in general and um, the monopolies of medicine. And it, it's a quote, I think from Dennett, the function of the medical profession is to cure and prevent disease. It's not to act as arbiter, arbiter of moral and ethics. Mm. So I just, it, and then it talks about laws that would try to empower physicians to act as inquisitors into the private lives of their patients and be responsible for the ethical use of contraceptive instructions would be an imposition, imposition on the physicians and upon the people. So I just find that interesting also, you know, calling for physicians not to be arbiters of morals and ethics, but also, you know, in practicing medicine, you do have to, you know, consider morals and ethics. Mm -hmm. Every hospital has a, you know, ethics committee and, you know, ethics is called on certain cases. And I just find that interesting to think about as well. I don't know. What else do you guys want to talk about on this? I just, I found this topic incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Maybe because it's disturbing. Maybe. I don't know. Partially because it's disturbing. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the interesting thing too, in terms of all of this with childbirth is that like childbirth isn't like any other medical issue. Cause it's not, it's not really like a medical issue. It's something that's right. normal physiological process. Um, and so one of the aspects of twilight sleep that like drove twilight sleep too, was that obstetricians prior um, were kind of like mocked and laughed at because other doctors were like, oh, what do you do? You sit there and watch a baby come out. Like you don't mm. actually do anything. Mm-hmm. So when twilight sleep came, um, they felt like really validated in them being like medical and scientific and, and having like, you know, their hands in it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, that was another drive and can it really, it continues to be that way too, with our obstetricians taking, taking control of the birth situation. But I just thought that was interesting too. And I think that's a big reason why this is, this is such an interesting topic because really you don't have to do anything for childbirth. You know, you don't have to interrupt it in most cases, but yeah, Yeah. there's always those cases where you do, but it is really Mm -hmm. interesting. I found that interesting too, from your stories that it kind of gave these OBs, this sense of validation and maybe even power in a sense. Right. And you want to hold on to that. And I'm not saying there's no place for OBs. I'm not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it was just really interesting. It's like, oh, here's our first validation, right? And we got to hold mm-hmm. on to that. And isn't that just mm-hmm. human nature too, right? In so many mm-hmm. ways and in so many yes. situations. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to say, it could be a whole other can of worms if you want to dive into that. But I found most interesting when you said it leveled them up, like as far as feeling more medical and scientific. And mm-hmm. 
that's something I found so strange um, throughout the whole, you know, COVID situation and just watching how people respond and people um, seeming to not understand that nature is science. Like, yes, you know, (laughs) I say this all the time, like, because they say that in birth a lot too, like trust what the science says. What does the evidence say? And it's like, biology is science yeah we like are trusting we the science we didn't yeah. invent it like we didn't yeah. <laughs> you know oh it's just that could be a whole nother yeah topic. we could go on and on so, about that <laughs> so interesting to just observe human behavior from that mm-hmm. aspect. so all right lizzie yeah. do you have anything else to add and I guess at the end here, you can kind of just tell people a little bit of what you do, I guess, if you mm-hmm. want to go into that. just Yeah, quick. sure. I mean, um, like you said, I, I teach childbirth and I specifically teach, um, I have an online course for moms who want an unmedicated birth, but are birthing in the hospital. And the reason I picked those moms and my course helps those moms because that, that was me and I really wanted a home birth. Um, and it just like, it wasn't in the cards. I mean, we could talk on and on about this, but home birth like isn't accessible to everyone. And so many moms, even with our home birth rates, like went up and since 2020 mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, still 99% of moms are giving birth in the hospital. And a lot of those moms want unmedicated births and they're not getting them because of the way that the hospital is set up. And so, I mean, my mission here is to just like help moms walk into the hospital knowing that, knowing what they're working against so that they can leave the hospital with a more positive experience and less traumatic births. So that is what I do. And that's, those are the moms that I love helping. And I I so wish that that I would have found someone like you before having my children. And that's what everyone says. (laughs) So I'm really trying to be loud about like, it's just, nobody tells you, nobody tells you anything except, oh, you're pregnant. And then they just, well, they do tell you, they tell you what to do. They tell you to go to the Mm -hmm. OB and what's a midwife and what's a home birth and have your baby in the hospital and lay down on your back and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's very valuable for sure. And I I really hope and pray that more people are starting to see the value in that. Like my oldest is 10 and that wasn't even really a conversation, at least not one that I was privy to, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. Now I think a lot more women are becoming aware that there are options and you don't have to do it just the standard way that we've been conditioned to believe is normal. So I love what you're doing. Yes. It's like twilight birth, but the opposite. (laughs) It it really is so parallel to like what we still see with birth now. It's so, and, and I think this is a good takeaway too, in terms of getting the birth that you want is that like when we talk about twilight sleep, it was driven largely by the consumer, what women were demanding, what they wanted. And that's one thing that I like to teach is that if you demand what you want, that's how we're going to see change in, in the hospital birth or opening up more home birth accessibility to moms. Yeah, so that's very true. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us to discuss yes. this topic. This is a fun episode for me. I don't yeah, know. that was fun. I liked that. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, all right. Tell people where they can find you. Um, you can find me again. My 
my Instagram is Fierce Lizzie. And if you just, I mean, I like live on Instagram. So all my links are there. You can go to my website, fiercelizzie.com also, but um, either of those places are perfect. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. So that was our interview with Lizzie Bolliger about twilight sleep and not just about twilight sleep, but about eugenics and just the fascinating history of um, science in a way, I guess, but also just human behavior and human nature and the things that we flock to and flee from. So anyway, super interesting topic. Um, But as always, thank you for listening. You can find us outside of the podcast on Instagram. I'm Cecily.Dickey or my website, thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram or RitaRogersCo.com. Thanks for listening.